Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the time is here to preview our final division. It's the Pacific Division. We saved the best for last. Well, actually, you know, there are other divisions that are the best, but still pretty darn good. You got McDavid. You got the revamped Calgary Flames. You got some California competition. And you also have Vegas uh, and Seattle thrown into the mix. You got Vancouver as well. There's a lot of intrigue there. And then we're going to preview how the Western Conference playoff picture shakes up in the wild and the Stanley Cup, potentially, maybe. Depends on how much time we have. And then, in a couple of days, the real season gets underway, even though San Jose technically started theirs. That's beside the point. Episode 337 <laughs> of the Lace em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Brett, uh, when we were talking about this team, the Anaheim Ducks last year, we I didn't have high hopes for them, but now I do. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. The, it, I mean, they're they're definitely a fun team. I don't. I still don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. It seems like they're going to be bad for one more year but but they're uh, at least fun at least they're fun yeah exactly i i don't mind watching the ducks now they're at least yeah, fun. yeah exactly exactly um yeah especially when you um like it looks like um mason mctavish will be playing some a little bit um jamie drysdale will come into his own some more zegras of course and uh troy terry let's see if he can maintain um his uh you know his, his uh, season last year, um, so so yeah that 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 is that is definitely fair. Um, yeah, they um, they added. Let's see here. They added. Um, I, I guess I sh- I should start off by mentioning that you know it's funny how you said that like this is it isn't the best division, which I guess is kind of fair because it's like you know we have the the California teams and the Seattle team um, Seattle's probably not gonna do well again but I don't know like they're they're still like you know it's it's still a decent division um, like it, it, it's still like competitive it's not like the Central where like Chicago and Arizona are like the only two bad teams um, pretty mm-hmm. much in that division but. Um, whereas this one, it's like I could I could realistically see any of these teams make the playoffs. Um, anyways, um, so yeah, we start off with Anaheim as you mentioned. They add Ryan Strom. Uh, they also add John Klingberg um, and Frank Vetrano. Those are their three big moves that they made: Dmitry Kulikov, uh, Nathan Bolio, Oli Ulevi, and I think it's Chase DeLeo, if that's right. Um, and then they lose, uh, Ryan Kessler's cap hit, Getzlav retires, that's the main reason why they get Ryan Strom, um, Sonny Milano is out, uh, Sam Steele, Zach Aston Reese, uh, Schuster, Dominic Simone, and Greg Paterne, who retires as well. Um, yeah, and, 
I, I don't know. As as Steve alluded to, that like you know Anaheim. I I mean I I think I kind of predicted like Anaheim to be like this breakout team. I was really excited to see Trevor Zegers, and he was as good as advertised last year. So. Um, so there's something for Anaheim or like people in Anaheim to look forward to. He, he's just one of the most flashy guys out there. So that should be fun. Then you also have someone like Mason McTavish, who they drafted in 2021 in the third, third overall pick. Um, and he like really breaks out in the world juniors, um, Olin Zellweger as well, breaks out in that world juniors as well in, in August. Um, although it looks like Zellweger is going back to the WHL for another year. Um, but, but yeah, they're still like an interesting team, um, that, um, that, yeah, as, as Steve alluded to, it's not like they're a train wreck, but I wouldn't be like shocked if they like are a lottery team either. Um, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um. As for my, so we're, I guess I have the players to watch this week as well. Um, and um, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Jamie Drysdale as, um, surprisingly enough, as the player to watch for, for the, uh, the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, this past year, um, he actually had a decent year with uh, 81 games played, uh, 32 points. Um, and, you know, he played almost 20 minutes of ice time um, this year. I think it's intriguing, though, for the fact that, like, they they do sign John Klingberg for a one-year deal. And then, um, and then uh, like, and then maybe they're going to trade John Klingberg um, in, the, in the deadline, assuming that the Ducks aren't going to be a good team anymore. And then once that happens, then it's Jamie Drysdale's team. Um, which I, I find like, you know, maybe, which kind of makes some sense. He's 20 years old, but I feel like he, if, if the ducks are going to like make it to the playoffs somehow, Jamie Drysdale has to make it to the next step. Um, I think what's also interesting is, is that they, they drafted, um, Minchukov, uh, in, in the draft last year and he, or, or this year, and he's, he's going to be pretty good too. Um, so it's like, and and of course they have Olin Zellweger in the system as well. So, like this is going to be the moment for Drysdale to really make his mark. And then next year, uh, Zellweger and Minchikov are are might take over in the decor uh, for for Anaheim. So um, so I'll be intrigued to see how Jamie Drysdale does when there's like these two other defensemen waiting in the wings for for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it. Jamie Drysdale is pretty interesting in terms of the hype around him yeah. uh, in the only fantasy hockey league that I'm in. Okay, <laughs> and this is a protect uh, this is a keeper league, so right. you protect up to five players unless you're the defending champ two years in a row, in which case you only get to pick three uh, or keep three players. That's a weird. Um, but anyways, so the draft begins, and the first player ahead of Braden Point, ahead of Elias Lindholm, that gets picked is Jamie Drysdale. Wow. And I I felt, man, like, they, they, they must know something that I don't, because I feel like Jamie Drysdale isn't going to be a 50 to 60 point guy 
this season right away. Right, right. But I definitely think he has the potential in a couple of years where that can be the norm for him. And I do think he is that good. 32 points in just his first real season of NHL duty, that's, that's a pretty good first step. Um, and I don't think he was technically a rookie last year uh, because of uh, some of the minutes that he got previously. Yeah. But, but even still, I would call this a bigger sample size, a real test to see what he can do um, in a 32-team league. And based on what I've seen, it looks like he belongs. Uh, just averaging under 20 minutes uh, a contest, and he put up 32 points last year, that's that's pretty good for a first-year, second-year yeah. defender. Um, he's going to get top four minutes continuously this season, I'm sure. And um, as he goes, the Ducks will go. I'm also interested to see how their offense manufactures. Currently on daily yeah. face-off, Troy Terry is on the second line. So is Mace McTavish. Um, I'm, I'm really glued on uh, McTavish and to see if yeah, he McTavish has the kind of impact that Seekers had. Uh, Frank Vitrano on the first line. Uh, speaking of Trevor Seekers, he's uh, right winger Seekers. Uh, the center on the first line. Uh, and the reason I'm talking about all of these guys is because it may seem like the Anaheim Ducks have 15 plus million dollars in cap space right now. But let me remind you that the following players at the end of this season are going to be restrictive free agents. Trevor Zegras, Troy Terry, Jamie Drysdale, and Max Comtois. Yeah. If Zegers, Terry, and Drysdale continue to evaluate their play, that cap space is going to go mighty quick. And to be fair for the Anaheim Ducks, after this year, Dmitry Kulikov, who they got for future considerations from Minnesota, his contract's off the books. John Moore's contract, one year left, off the books after this year. Kevin Shattenkirk, he's off the books this year as well. And depending on what they do with John Klingberg beyond this year, his contract could be off the books as well. So they may still have enough cap space to add pieces to this roster on top of securing these pieces of their core. But if if these pieces of the core continue to take next step after next step after next step, uh, that payday is just going to keep going up. So this year for them and for the team is big in the sense that you know, these these guys could be your core for the present, not just the future, but for the present, and you're going to have to pay them as such. Yeah. Uh, the one good thing that the Ducks have going for them is draft picks, and they did uh, use those draft picks wisely in the, pre, in, the, in the past couple of drafts. They're able to accumulate draft picks and turn them into pretty good assets. You mentioned uh, Olin Zellweger. They also have Drew Hellison, who they got in the Josh Manson trade. Um, they have uh, some other prospects, Mintukov, you mentioned uh, they drafted him recently. Yeah. Uh, here are their picks for the first three rounds of the upcoming three drafts. In 2023, at the moment, they have a first three seconds and two thirds. Um, in 2024, they have a first two seconds and a third. And then they have one of each, first, second, third in uh, 20. those thirds uh, as the season goes along and that only helps their youth movement further um and i'm also interested to see what they do with the likes of adam henrique and jacob silverberg uh as their contracts wind down maybe they move 
one or both of those guys uh, to start to assemble the roster that they're looking for moving yeah. forward. I'm interested to see what happens there. Yeah, I guess on the offensive side of things, I I am intrigued by Frank Vetrano. He had a decent... Uh, he had some production, even though it was like at like 13 minutes of ice time in New York as well. So I'm curious to see what he does with more minutes. Um, and also, yeah, Mason McTavish should be interesting. And also Maxime Comtois. Um, I know he's one of the guys in hockey in that Hockey Canada scandal, but he didn't have a great year last year. But he had he was their best player the year before that. So I am curious to see what. If like if what kind of comtois are we seeing the one that we saw last year or the one we saw the the years previously, um, and he's only twenty three and you know he's he's drafted, um, or not he's drafted but um, you know he he w- didn't have um, um, you know he had a pretty good season uh, previously but um, yeah I'm just I'm just curious to see what goes on there. Also, what will be interesting, too, is if uh, John Gibson, reportedly, there was, like, towards the beginning of the summer, he uh, there was, like, a report that he wanted out um, or wanted to be traded, but then he denied the reports. But I do wonder if Lucas Dostal uh, takes over or becomes the backup uh, for them and um, and kind of, like, makes it so it's a lot easier for the Ducks to trade John Gibson. Um, because they like if Dostel is good, then yeah, that, then that means that they're not as reliant on Gibson um, in, the, in the meantime. Um, I think it depends on how fast the youth movement yeah. goes, because they're in a position where in two years they're ready to contend again. Uh, why trade a guy like John Gibson and rely on a guy that you hope could be the next John Gibson? True. Doesn't make true. much sense, uh, especially with the amount of term that's left on his deal. Yeah. So it, I wouldn't rule it out that it could be possible that, that he does ask for a trade or they do trade him uh, down the road if, if things um, don't steadily improve and they remain stagnant. But uh, for the moment, I think there's room to at least hope that – Things will continue to turn around, and the Ducks will be good again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the Ducks will be good this year, but they'll probably be good next year. I, I think that's... The one thing I will say, though, uh, and the one thing I'm going to keep my eye on this season, is Dallas Eakin still the right guy uh, to yeah, coach yeah. this team. Right. Because I still have my doubts. Um, also, just Dark Horse Calder candidate. We're going to do our Calder episode, our awards prediction next week, but... Uh, just a dark horse candidate uh, because he's been really good in the preseason, um, and no one's really heard of this guy. But um, but he was picked up in one of my leagues, and now I'm like um, all over it. Uh, but um, yeah, his, his name is Pavel Regenda. Uh, he had 39 points in 43 games in Slovakia last year, and then he had four points in seven games in the Olympics for Slo- Slovakia. He's been really good in the. Um, in the preseason, it looks like he might make the team, um, but he could work his way up and, and maybe like make be like a top six type player. Um, but of course, at the same time, you may never hear this guy again. So um, <laughs> that that's definitely possible. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's from the same place. It's the same league that Yuraj uh, uh, Slavkovsky, the first overall pick, uh, went in. So. 
So maybe maybe there's something there with Regenda. We'll see, but um, who knows? Um, all right, let's go to Calgary. Uh, we we've kind of talked about Calgary a lot the, this off season, and that's because they made a lot of moves. Uh, they traded you know Matthew Kachuk, and ended up getting Johnny Huber, uh, Johnny Jonathan Huberdo. They also lose the biggest free agent um, in this offseason in Johnny Gaudreau. They trade away Sean Monaghan. Um, Cal Yarncroft they also lose. Ryan Carpenter, Eric Goodbranson, and Brad Richardson, and Kevin Gravel. They also lose uh, Huso Valimaki, and Valimaki is actually um, going to Arizona, which is interesting. Um, and then in terms of people that they add, I just mentioned Jonathan Huberdo. They add Nazem Kadri, Uyghur, who uh, just signed this contract, which we'll talk about in a second. Cole Schwint, um, Kevin Rooney, and Clark Bishop. I believe uh, Schwint was involved with that Huberdo Uyghur trade. He was, um, yes. Um, and then and then Kadri, they they end up getting. But it's interesting just because it's like they they lose a, like you know when you think of the Calgary Flames for the last maybe four years, three years. You think of Johnny Gaudreau, you think of Matty Kachuk, you think of Sean Monaghan. And all three of those guys are gone now. And, I mean, yes, of course, Huberdo and Kadri should still be pretty good, even though they're older than those those guys I just mentioned. And Mackenzie Weger, he's, he's not going to be bad either. Um, so, uh, or like, he, he ended up, you know, replacing Aaron Ekblad's role when, when Ekblad was... Uh, uh, injured uh, towards the end of the last season, um, so so yeah, he might he might end up uh, doing really well for for the Calgary Flames because like yeah, there's Noah Hannafin and he did he did pretty well. Rasmus Anderson they have as well, but um, in terms of like like you know, uh, Uyghur can kind of do both things. He can do he he can hit, he can block, he can play defense like a defenseman should. And he can also score some points from time to time. Um, so so he's definitely an interesting person to watch. Um, I guess, before we get into his contract, because he signed this week, do you want to talk about um, what your outlook on the Calgary Flames is so far? Well, they're a team that uh, went from pot- potential rags to immediate riches. Um, I mean, it's rare that... A team can say, yeah, we lost Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, uh, easily uh, two of, you know, the league's top 30 players uh, in the entire, um, and and still say, I think we're going to be just fine, because right. look at all the assets we got. Um, I, I mean, their, their offense and the way it could uh, orchestrate is what I'm mostly interested in. Because you have Jonathan Huberto now on the left side. Elias Lindholm remains the number one center. But then you have Tyler Toffoli on the right wing. So he's your first-line guy, not a second-line option or a third-line option. He's their top option on the right side. On the second line, of course, Nazem Kadri centering it. Dylan Dubé is the second-line right winger. Mangiapane remains on the left side as the second-line option. Then you have uh, Backlund centering a Coleman on the left and Trevor Lewis on the right uh, for the third line. And then Kevin Rooney uh, is centering Milan Lucic on the fourth line and Brett Ritchie um, uh, left and right, respectively, on the wings. Um, I mean, I think their offense looks pretty decent overall. Uh, I'm interested to see what Dylan Dubé could do 
uh, in an increased role. And I think that's largely what the Flames are banking on, guys like Dubé and Coleman, yeah. to really carry the offensive load. While Toffoli, Cubito, Lindholm, Kadri, and perhaps Mangiapane continue to be the offensive leaders in terms of forwards, you need guys like Dubé and Coleman uh, to up it a level. And I, I get that Coleman, there's only so much offense he can create on the third line. But I think he can be a very serviceable third-line player, one of the best third-line players in the entire NHL. He's shown it in New Jersey. He's shown it in Tampa Bay. He can show it uh, here in Calgary as well. And if he gets the hot hand and Mangiapane uh, goes cold, I can even see Coleman on the second line with uh, Kadri as the center. And at that point, I'm interested to see how many points uh, he could get as well. So it's the intrigue on the second lines and the third lines that uh, really uh, – that that really catches my interest. I'm I'm not really concerned about it, but I'm interested how the second and third lines uh, are able to produce for Calgary. I'm not worried about the first line. The first line is going to be maybe not as dominant as it was last year, but still one of the top lines in the NHL. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair to say. I am curious to see how Kadri can do with like you know on like a worse team not that calgary is going to be bad or anything but uh just the fact that like he went on colorado who was so stacked offensively yeah i mean now, it's a, yeah. any you go anywhere from colorado and it's a downgrade. right right like, exactly. colorado was just loaded yeah um okay uh yeah let's let's talk about Mackenzie weger here uh, so he signed an extension as well, um, and he signs a 6.25, I believe it's eight years. Um, yep, eight years. Eight yep. years, 6.25, so not too bad. Um, yeah, I wonder, this is like a, a nice deal for them. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I guess they're, the, the way that this contract is set up, it, it makes it seem like he's going to be their number one defenseman. Which I'm not necessarily sure I buy fully, um, but um, but yeah, I, I think it's like as I was talking about this guy can, he's a he's a very good two way defenseman. Uh, he can get you some points. He can also like you know hit and is defensively responsible at the same time too. So there's a, oddly enough, there's not too many defensemen out there that can do both. Um, so, so from that regard, it, it's nice and it's, a, it, it could work out, but I don't know the fact that he's like 28 years old, he's, um, he's getting older. He's never actually been like the guy, um, in Florida, it is, it is a little bit concerning, but you know, at the same time, when you make that kind of trade where you trade Matt, Matty Kachuk, you lose a guy like Johnny Gaudreau. Um, who was the face of the franchise. You lose a guy like Sean Monaghan, who was the face of the franchise before Goudreau got there. It's like, okay, you have to, like, show the fans that you're willing to, um, to like, you know, come uh, make new terms and, and, um, and like, you know, actually give out long-term contracts to different players. Um, so, yeah, he's never going to be a Matty Kachuk. He's never going to be a Johnny Goudreau. But he, he's going to be serviceable, and, like, Colorado, Calgary, not Colorado, Calgary can, can definitely use a guy like Uyghur in their, in their D4. Yeah, and uh, when, when I look at Mackenzie Uyghur, I look at a, a, a very solid top four defenseman. 
uh, a guy that can rack up a respectable amount of minutes. In fact, his uh, 23-22 average time on ice last year was a career high, uh, a solid minute and a bit over his previous high of 22.07, which he set the year prior. And the past couple of years, he's been pretty good. Uh, he has a total of 80 points uh, over the past two seasons, 14 of them goals. Uh, so that's uh, over an 82-game pace, 55 points in 2020-21. Last year, he played 80 games, got 44 points. So that's a 45-point pace over 82. Uh, surpassed a 200-shot barrier. That was uh, 102 more than uh, the the uh, number he got uh, the year prior. So he was getting a lot of shots, and I think maybe part of that was because um, of Ekblad's uh, health. Um and, and he was asked to carry a bit more of the load there. 179 hits last year, 156 block shots. So a guy like Rasmus Anderson who can do a little bit of everything, he averaged 40 seconds of power play time per game. So if he gets – I'm interested if, to see what his power play stats are like in Calgary yeah. or if they are more heavy on the forwards on that front. Um, but just – just uh, I'm I'm – I'm interested about two things for Mackenzie Weger. One, how much of the success was on Eric was based on him playing on Aaron Ekblad's pairing, because he had 11 assists in 21 games, his first 21 games last year. Then the following 22 games, he had 14 points, and his primary defense partner in both of those quarters, quarter one and quarter two, is Aaron Ekblad. And you saw less and less of Aaron Ekblad in quarters three and four. He had 10 points in 19 to games in fair. quarter three, nine points in the final 18 games in quarter four. When you say you so, saw less and less of Aaron Eckblad, he was injured for, for that. <laughs> that well, that's why yeah. you saw less and less of him. <laughs> yeah, that, that's part of it. But uh, to say 19 points in the following 37 games, that's that's still pretty decent for a defenseman, I would say. Um, and uh, his, his ice time was... Still around the same range, 22, 23 minutes, even with uh, Ekblad uh, injured for a little bit of that. Um, the other thing uh, to keep in mind for Calgary is just how their defense worked in general last year. You had a lot of depth in terms of scoring. Uh, their top scoring defenseman was Rasmus Anderson. He had 50 points low-key, 50 points, 46 assists in 82 games. And he averaged 22.40 of ice time. He had 19 power play points. Pretty interesting. Noah Hannafin had 48 points, 10 of them goals in 81 games. He had 13 power play points and averaged just over 21 minutes uh, per game. Oliver Shillington, 31 points, 73 games. He averaged 18.10. And he only got uh, three power play points. Uh, Even Kristanov had 28 points. And guys like Zadorov, 22 points for him. Uh, even Eric Branson, he got 17 points of his own, and six of them are goals. Uh, needless to say, just the point totals and the power play points, where Uyghur falls into uh, that line for the Flames. Um, right now, he is the top pairing on the left side. Chris Tanev is on the right. Hannafin and Anderson are the left side, right side, one-two punch on the second pairing. Nikita Sidorov on the left, Nicholas Malosh on the right while Shillington is hurt. Uh, that makes up the third pairing. I mean, I think he could be good enough to be that solid number one guy, but I'm curious now that he's expected to be the guy, how he's going to perform. And for that reason, 
Uh, I'll kill two birds with one stone. If you're asking who my player to watch is, it's Mackenzie Weir. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out and all. Um, who is your player to watch? I just said Mackenzie Weaker. <laughs> oh, it is your... Sorry, I, I thought... Yeah, okay. I said... I figure I'd kill two birds with one stone here. Fair, fair. Um, yeah. as, as I'm thinking aloud, it's just like, I should probably watch this guy. So... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess he is a player to watch. Yeah, that, that, that's Honorable fair. mention to Dylan Dubé. I'm curious uh, how he performs. Yeah, um, yeah. Potentially on a second line role, if not third line. <laughs> I guess I got caught because I was. I guess I wasn't paying attention towards the end there. Uh, I should have been paying attention to to hear that you said that. That's all good. Um, we yeah. pay attention when the real season starts. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That's when it matters. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's when it matters. Exactly. Um, but uh, but I I'm also I'm interested just to see um, if Jacob Peltier uh, comes in because they did lose. Like yeah, they they bring in. Um, Huberto Mangiapane can play some left wing as well, but mm-hmm. they I, th- I think we talked about this before when we were talking about Flames prospects, but they have Peltier, they drafted yep. uh, Coronado last year, um, who's mm-hmm. also a left winger, so um, so it's just like, it's felt like they have a plethora of left wingers, and maybe it's like they knew that they were not going to be able to keep Goudreau and Kachuk. And that's why they drafted those guys. So I am curious to see. And Peltier had a pretty good AHL uh, season. So I am curious to see if we ever see him um, up up top here. But um, It should also be noted, speaking of left wingers, we talked about Lucic being the fourth line, oh, yeah. a left winger. Uh, his contract expires at the end of the year. Yep. So I'm interested, once we get to next year, who fills that uh that spot and it could be a guy like Jacob Pelche, it could be a guy like Connor Zeri, Matthew Coronado, who you just that. mentioned as well. They have some options on the wing that they could slot in there. Yeah, Connor Zeri is also interesting too. Um yeah. for sure. I think but he had a bit of a down center. year last year though, but Jacob Pelche last year in the Myers was awesome. Yeah. Although uh for Zeri he was injured to start the season, so I yeah, think that's why that, that doesn't that. help. Yeah. But um but yeah the the fact that I mean, and Zeri's more of a center than than a winger, so I'm not necessarily sure if that's going to help. But yeah, I guess Kachuk was more of a right winger too, so maybe, I don't know, um, maybe it's something different there. Oh, it should also be noted, while the uh, Flames were extending Huberto and Uyghur, yeah. uh, Daryl Sutter, their coach, gets a two-year extension as well, so they yeah. even extended him. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, also interesting that they let, they, uh, let go of Balamaki, just I, I guess speaking of injury issues, he had an injury a couple of years seasons ago and just never looked the same. But uh, yeah, he's going to be claimed by Arizona, and and maybe Arizona can like you know if if you need to like for Arizona just for a little bit, we're going to talk about them. Um, yeah, they have uh, Jacob Trickran, but we probably seen the last of him um, there. Because uh, he's injured and he re- he requested a trade, and then Ghost Bear um, Ghost Bear has one more year left on yeah um, on his deal, and so they do have Soderstrom in the system, but he's hasn't been as good. Um, so if Falamaki can't make it in Arizona, I you know he could be uh, um, he's, he might not be able to make it anywhere. Um, so. Yeah, anyways, let's go to Edmonton here. Uh, they were, I mean, obviously they're a fun-to-watch team. 
because they have um, this this guy named Connor McDavid, and you may have heard of him. Uh, they also have Leon Draisaitl. You also may have heard of him. Um, Connor McDavid's definitely the best player in the world. Arguably, you can make a case that Leon Draisaitl's the best, the second best player. Um, we we even did a whole episode on that a couple of seasons ago, but. Um, I guess it still kind of remains true. You could, I guess, you could make a case for Cam Lacar and McKinnon, but either or, he's a very good player. Um, and um, and yeah, this this was the first year that they actually went really far in the playoffs, so so that's definitely um, exciting. Um, but they they did end up getting swept. Having said that, they they did get swept by Colorado in the in the Western Conference Finals. Um, so they add Jack Campbell, they add Ryan Murray, they add uh, Matthias Janmark, um, Calvin Picard, and Greg McKegg, although I think McKegg is now on waivers or something. Um, they lose Zach Cassian, Duncan Keith retires, Miko Koskinen, um, Ryan Turris, Kyle Turris, Kyle Turris retires, uh, Chris Russell, Derek Broussard, Perlini, Skivior, Josh Archibald, uh, William Lagason, uh, Alex Stalock, and Ilya Konovalov. Um, I also believe that Mike Smith is just on LTIR and may never uh, play again type of th- type of deal. Um, I don't know if it's ne- he won't play again, but he's going to miss significant time to start the year, I believe. Okay. Um, so that's why they have Stuart Skinner uh, backing up right. um, Jack, Jack, Jack Campbell. Yeah, this is a interesting... Uh, this is a, like an interesting signing that we didn't really talk too much about because what happened to Jack Campbell was he he ended up like not uh, doing not having a great second half. He was then he was injured during the playoffs, um, but he had an unreal first half of the season where it was like he was almost like a Vezina level player. Um, so I am curious to see. Um, how he does on this Edmonton team. Um, and yeah, so it, it is funny too. Cause I like, usually when, when I, when like Maple Leafs players leave, you would think that they would go to a team that's like not as like pressurizing to play with. Cause Toronto is probably the most stressful team to play for in the NHL. Um, and Instead, he goes to the second most stressful team to play for in Edmonton. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I am curious just to see if he is if he's going to do it. Um, and and even even with like a bad second half, he still had a two point six four GAA and a save percentage of nine fourteen. Um, so that's not bad. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just one of those things where, like Toronto probably didn't want to keep him just because uh like he didn't really perform in the playoffs and they they just couldn't afford it so then they go to it like Edmonton has a similar cap structure as Toronto does and uh and he ends up going to Edmonton and signs long term too so um so yeah that that, that will um that's going to be an interesting thing to deal with because if he if he's all of a sudden like bad uh, for for Edmonton, even, especially during the playoffs, then it's going to be like, okay, well, we have like four more years left of this guy um, where it's like, okay, I guess the Leafs knew something. Whereas on the other hand, it's like, 
this could be the difference maker for for Edmonton. Um, I guess why not? Let's let's make him the player to watch. I was yep. I was going to talk about Dylan Holloway because he um, it looks like he could be pretty decent um, in or he he's played really well in the in the off uh, in the exhibition games and without yeah. late know, latest lineup on daily faceoff has him pegged on the second line yeah, as yeah. a left winger so but uh, yeah. they're obviously trying him on the top six at least yeah exactly and it's, especially when like. Yamamoto and Puliyarvi haven't been as good as hyped up to be. It's just like you know we kind of have to lower our expectations for Holloway. But having said that, he he still looks pretty good. So I am curious how they're going to use him the first year, and um, there is a potential that Edmonton could ruin him, um, like they did for Yamamoto or Puliyarvi. But um, but yeah, at the same time, like all Edmonton really needs at this point is wingers. Um, Evander Kane, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's now a winger, Zach Hyman, Yamamoto, and Pugliarvi are all wingers. But, um, yeah, there, there's definitely a chance for, there is some room for Holloway, um, in, even as like a, you know, a third, third line guy, uh, that could be something interesting for, for Edmonton. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess, um. Oh yeah, I didn't really ask you about um, what. What's your take on Edmonton? <laughs> um, uh, similar to what you said about Jack, um, Jack Campbell, um, they they better hope he delivers. And I'm sorry, Jack Campbell, a lot rests on your shoulders. Yeah. that's just the nature of the beast when you go to Edmonton. And also, Edmonton's defense, I would argue, is worse than Toronto's in terms right. of defense. Defense. So, um, if if you thought life was interesting in Toronto. <laughs> Well, you're going to love it in Alberta. Yeah. Um, I would also watch out for Evan Bouchard because uh, it should be noted, Oscar Clefbaum's contract, um, sad for Clefbaum because it feels like we haven't heard his name in forever. Yeah. And every time I go and get friendly, it's like, hey, he's yeah. still there. He's just too hard to play. Right. And it looks like that hasn't changed, sadly. Uh, so his contract will run out and probably Edmonton uh, won't keep him around. And they might not be able to afford to because if Evan Bouchard has seasons like he did last year or even better seasons than he did last year, probably a lot of that money going to Oscar Clefbaum is going to go straight into Evan's back pocket. Uh, His last year, 43 points, 12 goals for a defenseman, huge, in 81 games, 205 shots on goal, even threw in uh, 80 hits and 112 block shots, averaged less than 20 minutes per game, just under that. Uh, and only a minute 20 of power play time, so he only got like two goals, five assists on the power play, which I feel is pretty minuscule when you consider the weapons that are on uh, the Edmonton Oilers. And when you consider you also have uh, Tyson Berry as well, uh, labeled as the primary offensive defenseman, I would say. Um, if Evan Bouchard continues to develop, uh, he could be in for a nice payday uh, once he becomes a restricted free agent uh, this coming July. Um, so... I, I, I say, like, a mixture of Jack Campbell, Dylan Holloway, um, uh, Evan Bouchard, those would be the guys that I am watching uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. And and just ultimately, when I, when I think about, when I think about the Oilers, I, I'm mostly looking at, I, I'm mostly just looking at, um, man, there, there's, there's just so much to think about. All the possibilities with McDavid and Drysaddle, like how much more do they need to do? 
like to to get this team anywhere. Like yeah. they they played some of their best hockey, the best hockey they could have possibly played, and they got swept by Colorado in the conference finals. That's as far as they could go. Yeah. And and even then they had to slug their way out of a series against Calgary. Literally McDavid and Drysdale is the main reason why they won that series against Calgary. I would argue the only reason why they did. Um, just because of how fast the goals were were going through Mike Smith and Miko Koskin in that series. And even in big situations in the LA series, McDavid uh, rose to the occasion and, and the offense backs it up. McDavid and Tricettle were that good. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking at a big season from Dylan Holloway. That, like, he, he, he has to make an impact right away in order for the Oilers to unlock that potential. There's also uh, Kyler Yamamoto, who, on regardless if it's the second line or third line, if he can just play with some of the high-end talent and just put up points, that would be great. The... The other guy that I'm interested in is Evander Kane because yeah. his numbers last year in Edmonton on McDavid's line, forget the off-ice stuff. Evander Kane played amazingly well with, with, with Connor McDavid. He was averaging like a goal every two games, which is crazy for a guy that spent most of the, of the first half of the season in irrelevancy pretty much. And his numbers in... Just taking a look at his numbers here. Uh, Evander Kane was eighth in scoring, and he only played 43 games, 39 points in 43 games. 22 of those 39 points were goals, and he took 152 shots. So that's a 14.5 shooting percentage. Pretty respectable. Imagine what he can do in a full season under McDavid's line. He could have 40 to 45 goals easy if he plays at that rate. So... I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where Evander Kane in a full season fits in with that offense and what he can do, what damage he could do. It could be a career season goal-scoring-wise for Evander Kane. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting from, from that angle. That's that's a good point, too. Um, all right, let's go to the Los Angeles Kings. Um, mm-hmm. They um, they surprisingly made the playoffs this past year, um, no. so, so they are looking pretty good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's weird. Cause it's like, I feel like they were a year early, but like, of course that's, that's a good thing. Um, and not a bad thing. Uh, they ended up adding, uh, they didn't add too much except, I mean, there is a big one that they added in Kevin Fiala. Um, they also add uh, Phoenix Copley. They lose Brock Faber, Dustin Brown retires, Martin Firk. Um, Oli Mata and um, Andreas Athanasio and Garrett Sparks are also guys that they lost. Um, yeah, and, and as you mentioned here, they did blow a 3-2 to two series lead to Edmonton. They almost beat Edmonton, but they lose in the first round. Um, and yeah, it was, um, it was just, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, the Kings are at that point where, like, yeah, they, they. I guess it was just like it was cool that they were in the playoffs, but as I was mentioning, they still like have um, Byfield um, to make some noise. They have Brant Clark. It looks like he's going to make the team this year. Um, they have um, even Alex Turcotte. We'll see what he can do. Um, Gabe Velarde, uh, Arthur Kaliev. So they have a lot of young guys and. Um, and, and they can only, like, you know... And then they have a bunch of old uh, veterans um, as well because Kopitar still took 
uh, still um, taking. It doesn't make sense. Still cooking, I guess, is what I meant. Uh, Kevin Fiala, although he's not necessarily old, he's 26, and he's been in the league for a bit. Philip Deneau, Victor Arvidsson, um, Alex Iafalo. Um, so, like, they, they still have a young core, Drew Doughty, of course. Um, and, like, I'm, I'm interested in their goalie situation um, because last year it seemed like Jonathan Quick kind of, like, came back to what we expected of, of him. Um, and he had a 9-10 save percentage and a 2.59 GAA. Um, and then, we, like, it was kind of expected that Cal Peterson would, would become the starter. But he didn't look th- as good. Um, he had a sub-900 save percentage and a 2.9 GAA. Um, although he did have a, end up with a winning record. So, um, yeah, I am, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see who, who will end up being the... The main goalie for the the Kings this year is it going to be quick? Is he going to continue this this um this this past season, especially since he's a free agent next year, or will it be Cal Peterson? Um, and is he going to be as good as we think he could be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the big question mark for me for the LA Kings is between the pipes um, and what happens with their goaltending. I think their defense is a bit underrated. I think it can do the job for the most part. They held their own against the Oilers. Um, kept kept the big guns for Edmonton in check for the most part throughout the course of the series. Uh, definitely did a better job than Calgary's defense, that's for sure. Um, and in, in terms of their offense, their offense is probably the most interesting in the National Hockey League last year. Just by looking at the shot totals, okay? 247 shots on goal, Brett. Can you guess who is the team leader in that department? Uh, no. Adrian Kempe, who had wow. 35 goals. He took 247 shots. Victor Arvidsson, who scored 20 goals. He had 227 shots. So that's an 8.8 shooting percentage. If only the shooting percentage could be a bit higher, uh, you're looking at maybe 35-plus goals for Victor Arvidsson there. Alex Iafalo scored 17 times last year. He had 215 shots. Ante Kopitar, the ageless wonder, 19 goals on 210 shots for him. Trevor Moore, remember him? That bottom six option on the lease, a very good bottom six option at that. But 202 shots on goal, and he had 17 goals and 48 points last year. Pretty good season for him as well. And uh, Philip Deneau, 27 goals on 194 shots. So a shooting percentage over 10%. Uh, actually, just under 14, he finished with uh, 13.9, and he averaged uh, 18.08 uh, per game. A lot of defensive minutes uh, for him as well. And most of that damage not done with special teams. He only had two goals and four points uh, with the extra man there. Um, so for the most part, uh, the Kings have some very underrated forwards. And how they utilize those forwards now with Kevin Fiala in the mix is going to be pretty interesting. The other thing that I will address for, uh, before I turn it over to you, Brad, and we also talk about the player to watch for the Kings, is their RFAs this coming season. Uh, UFA-wise, Trevor Moore is due for a new contract. That's probably the biggest name there. If, if you want to go nostalgia, Jonathan Quick is also an unrestricted free agent after this year. But Trevor Moore is probably the most interesting name out of that bunch. In terms of RFAs, we have talked about for a couple of years now, how loaded the Kings farm system is. And they're going to have to make some interesting decisions with their RFAs. Tobias Bjornfoot, 
RFA. Akil Thomas, RFA. Gabe Velarde, RFA. Samuel Fadjamo, RFA. Rasmus Kupari, RFA. Tyler Madden, RFA. Leas Anderson, Jared Anderson Dolan, Aiden Dudas, you guessed it, all RFAs. That is a very long list of restrictive free agents there. And just when you look at the talent that they have here, a lot of those names that I just listed off are probably never going to make this roster. So as the seasons go on and they start to identify who works for their system and what doesn't, a lot of those names I just listed off might not be on uh, the team in any capacity. So just something to keep in mind there. Yeah, yeah, the... Yeah, I didn't realize how many free agents they have. I feel like a lot of teams have like a ton of free agents this year. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I don't think an R, a notable RFA list goes as long as the one the Kings have. Yeah, uh, for for twenty twenty three. Yeah, that's fair. There's a lot of talent there. Well, in terms of notable, I mean, the Ducks, we, we just listed the Ducks have three. Well, yeah, no, I mean, we're, like, I'm not talking big name stars, but think of the hype that a lot of oh, those yeah, guys yeah. had when they first entered the game's system. True, true. I mean, but the same can be said for the Ducks, but yes, I, I agree with you. <laughs> and the Sens. But, and the Sens, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, of course, go back to the Sens. Um, the, uh, I, I forgot to mention when we were talking about Edmonton that they get, uh, there was a trade today, uh, Clem Costin goes to Edmonton and St. Louis gets Dmitry Samokorov, uh, Samarukov. What was funny, I guess this is a podcast jinx because I was just talking up Perunovic and wondering, um, if he'll play and how good he's going to be. Turns out he's injured. Um, and he's going to be out for the next six months, which is basically the entire season. Um, yeah, it's and, basically ventured into Madden curse yeah. territory now. Exactly. Yeah. So people um, get hurt when we mention their names. I, I, I thought he was better because he was injured all of last season too, and then he played the, yeah. in the playoffs. So I wonder if it's going to be the same thing. Although I did, I did read that uh, Armstrong said that. Um, the GM of the Blues said that like uh, he wants to see Perunovic be healthy, so so maybe like Perunovic is not going to be on the Blues any longer, because um, he he just got fed up with him. But anyways, that's why uh, Samarukov is a defenseman. That's why we're talking about it. Um, and then Clem Costin, he was a first rounder um, a, a few years ago. So um, and he's a winger, so that could be something that if Edmonton. Can you know? Guess as we mentioned before, Edmonton can just use a lot of wingers, and if if this guy works, he works. If he doesn't, remember like Ty Ratty. Um, like yep. it feels like they they try to like or like there's been a couple of other guys that Edmonton picks up and it's like just just put them on McDavid's line and see if they work, and if not, then yep. they just let if them. If they go. can't score McDavid's line, they're no good. Basically, <laughs> essentially, that's that's that, what that's saying. just how they try out forwards now or, or wingers. <laughs> yeah, or it's like all right, McDavid doesn't like him. Let's, let's McDavid. Out. Well, too bad. Yeah, which is funny because it's go, like go for the next one on the list. Right, because which is funny too because it's not like you know McDavid is a fast player. Like one of the fastest player in the league, so it's like there's not a lot of guys to who can play with McDavid. But anyways, um, who is your player to watch? 
Uh, so one of the guys uh, that was near the top of the leaderboard in shots on goal, I didn't mention because I was going to mention him now, tied with Philip Deneau in shots on goal last year with 194. I am talking about Arthur Kaliev. Uh-huh. And it should be noted that he only got 14 goals on those 194 shots. So that's a 7.2 shooting percentage, much lower than Deneau's 13.9. Here's the part where I'm about to blow your mind. He averaged 12 minutes and 39 seconds per game. And he had 194 shots, good for, tied for six on the team. I've never seen those kind of stats before where a guy can just get a lot of shots in such a, a low period of time. And still he gets 14 goals in 80 games and six of those goals were on the power play, so it seems they trust his uh, craftsmanship uh, on special teams, which is good. The one thing that I have heard about Arthur Kaliev, and it goes back to his junior days with the Hamilton Bulldogs, is sometimes defensively, he's just not all there. He's not as engaged defensively as he is offensively. And I think that might explain the low ice time. So if he's able to be just as good defensively as he is offensively, or even just like showing significant progress on that front. I think you see his ice time go up. He continues to shoot the puck and sooner than later, he's going to be a consistent 30 goal scorer. So he would be my player to watch just because of what he was able to do in such a short period of time last season. And I think the next step is going to be, well, I'm not really sure how much of those 194 shots, how many of them, or high danger chances is how many of them were quality shots on net. If he just threw the puck on net uh, and based on his marksmanship, uh, he's, he's a guy that's uh, not afraid to take the big shot. Um, he, he seems like he's got a pretty good wrist shot as well. Um, so I'm, I'm just interested in terms of those high leverage scoring opportunities, what he's able to do. So yeah, keep an eye on Arthur Cali of this year. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good option for sure. Um, or intriguing for sure. Um, all right, let's go to the San Jose Sharks. Um, they, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, right? Don't tell Victor. I, I, I like his sharks too, but yeah. like, I think he'll agree with the same. I think he, um, he wants, uh, he wants them to get Connor Bedard. So, um, so at least <laughs> well, they'll have a lot of work to do that. They finished yeah. sixth in the division last year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, so uh, they add Matt Benning, Oscar Lindbaum, Luke Cunning, uh, Marcus Nutavera, Nico Sturm, Aaron Dell, Scott Harrington, Steve Lorenz, and E2 Macaniemi. They lose Brent Burns, Eden Hill, John Leonard, and um, Jonathan Dowling, and Zach Sodchenko, uh, Ryan Dezingle, and Alexei Melchenyuk. Um, Melnichuk, yeah, Melnichuk. the goalie, yeah, yep. He, he was the goalie that uh, had some hype to him a couple of years ago, and then you look at his stats in the Myers last year, didn't materialize. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I think. Um, well, what's interesting is, is they also add David Quinn as the coach, um, and they also played uh, the their first two games in the Chechia. It was kind of cool seeing uh, Thomas Hurdle score a goal in his home country. They also showed his mom a little bit watching him play. It was it was kind of very mm-hmm. it was a very sweet moment. 
Um, so they also changed their home and away jerseys, and yeah. I kind of like the style that they went for. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was kind of nice. I agree. Um, what was interesting is, and I forgot that David Quinn does this, but uh, if you remember back when he was coaching the Rangers, he uh, famously he didn't give Lafreniere and Kako any ice time, or just put them in the fourth line. Which is like fine, I get it. They're they're not defensive responsible players and all that stuff. They're rookies, but at the same time, it's like you're kind of ruining their development because they're not they're not going to learn anything if they're not you know if they're not in like a even like a third line role. I guess I can understand, but you want to take their time. What was really strange is they have these two rookies that are probably going to be competing for the Calder Trophy. Um, they didn't play these two games um, in Chechia, and that's a lot to do with what David Quinn was saying. So if you don't know who, what I'm talking about, Thomas Bordalo and William Eklund, they both uh, were healthy scratched uh, for those two games. Um, and, you know, they they should be like the, the franchise guys um, or like guys that you look forward to, to seeing. William Eklund, um, he was the ninth overall pick last year. Um, and yeah, he looked pretty good when he played for San Jose in the first nine games of the season, but he should be able to play in San Jose, but you know, maybe, maybe they send him down to the Barracuda, uh, for the year, that's possible. Um, but, um, and then Thomas Bordalo, um, he, uh, he looked really good. Um, I mean, he was on that famous Michigan team. Uh, where he had 35 point, uh, sorry, 37 points in 37 games. Um, and then he also like looked like a pro when they sent him um, in the NHL, uh, where he had five assists in eight games um, in the last eight games of the season uh, for, for San Jose. Um, and I, like, I can kind of understand it. It's just... Like, you know, it would be one thing if you're tanking for for those three picks, and I guess it would be worth it if they end up doing that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, I don't know, I, I feel like it, it would be kind of cool just to see Eklund and Bordalo because I think they're, they're both definitely ready, NHL-ready players. And if you just have them playing in the AHL all year, um, I don't think they're going to be any good. And then when you look at like the the Sharks depth chart, it's like you're telling me that uh, Eklund isn't better than Steven Lorenz right now, or um, who's who's the second line left winger, or like the fact that like um, I guess Luke Kunin did have two two goals in, or he had an assist and a goal um, in these two games in the Czech Republic, um, and he's you know he's he's good in his own right, but. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just like maybe I can understand not having Bordalo. Um, maybe he's not ready. He's kind of he's like I think he's like five ten or something like that. But not not having William Eklund up here, it's like he's better than half of this roster. Um, so so that part I just don't understand. But um, yeah, I, I guess if they if they're purposely trying to lose, then then yeah, maybe they just. They just put him in uh, for the Barracuda in the AHL for most of the year, and and then um, and then wait for next year, and hopefully they they get like a Connor Bedard or Mikov or Fantilli type player. Yeah, and I mean 
the other thing that that's interesting is that Claude Lemieux, uh, who is now a player agent, uh, the player agent specifically for Timo Meyer. Uh, by the sounds of it, the Sharks aren't going to be talking contract with Meyer until after the season. He won't get an offer until after the season, which I also find pretty interesting because yep. they're willing to extend Thomas Hurdle midseason. And I get that Timo Meyer is a restricted free agent, so it's not like he could walk for nothing. Right. But it, it's just interesting how they commit to Thomas Hurdle, but they're not going to commit to Timo Meyer. And I'm just wondering if the the front office has second thoughts about the plan of this team and what's best for this team. Right. And maybe they're starting to lean toward the rebuild part or we got to get younger. We got to get these top 10 picks here. Yeah. But on that note, like if they are leaning into the rebuild hurdle is two years older than Timo Meyer is and Timo Meyer is 26. It's like, it's like what we were talking about with uh, David Pasternak, like David Pasternak still pretty young. Like I know if they're going to be rebuilding, you know, they're, um, you know, they could use a Timo Meyer in their rebuild. Um, they don't necessarily have to, you know, worry about that. Cause you know, Timo Meyer is still going to be pretty good in uh, three or four years when they're expected to be, back to being good again so you know you could just keep him um especially since he's a restricted free agent um so you can just you know work on that so i i don't on that note it's just like it doesn't make sense to to um to not sign timo meyer see the, there there's a bit of a difference between that this situation and like something like anaheim is that Anaheim and San Jose, and I get it's two different situations, they're both at the bottom 16 of the NHL. Yeah. But Anaheim, I feel, is on the right side of that. San Jose is on the wrong side of it because Logan Couture getting older. Eric Carlson getting older. Mark Edward Vlasic getting older. Um, Evander Kane, Martin Jones, contracts uh, bought out or terminated, got nothing for them. Uh, Thomas Hurl, you just extended – so if you're trying to build on the youth movement, the the main piece of your core that you might have to sacrifice is Timo Meyer, because just just for the sake of being able to to trade an asset, you can't trade away Eric Carlson's contract. Nobody wants Eric Carlson's right. contract. People are scared away by his health. Like yeah. <laughs> who's who's going to take on Couture's money? Who's going to take on yeah. Hurdle's term now? It would be easier to trade Timo Meyer for assets that you can use, and it sucks because he's arguably their best player now. But I, I just find I, I just find it a little bit of a red flag that if you really wanted Timo Meyer that badly, and there was little doubt uh, that you would want to keep Timo Meyer around, this would be done by now, in my opinion. Mm. And the fact that it hasn't been has me at least concerned. Yeah, I don't know. Um... I do want to say that I know you're saying, like, yeah, Eric Carlson is not a, worth $11.5 million, but he did have 35 points in 50 games. So uh, that, yeah. that's pretty good. But he only played 50 games. I know, I know. But, like, that's still pretty good. Like, if he, yeah, like, when it healthy. Is. Of course, I'm not saying that he's worth 11.5, but, um, but, like, it's not like, it's not like Jeff Skinner or something. Um, no. So. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's like, I'm a little bit more hopeful cause I, I do think William Eklund and Thomas Bordalo are the future. And I, I think I disagree with you on like, like 
Um, like, yeah, you should sign Timo Meyer long-term. Um, but, like, I, I don't know. I guess when I think of, like, like you know what, like Chicago, they basically traded Alex DeBrincat, and they didn't need to. Um, and they got nothing in return. If you're going to trade someone like that, they didn't get as good of a return as they should have. Um, so, so yeah, I, I feel like that's why I'm thinking that it doesn't make sense to, like, trade Timo Meyer. But, yeah, I agree that they should keep him. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I think it, it makes sense from the player's perspective to just wait a full year um, and, and get, like, you know, play really well, prove that you that, that's what you're worth. And even more so, you can prove that you're, you're better than what you would have originally gotten if you signed this year. Um, and, I mean, we'll talk about it next week with, uh, with uh, Barzal. But, um, but yeah, so I, I, I can understand it from, from the player's perspective. If I was the team, I'd want to I'd sign him right away. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, as for uh, player to watch... Um, I was, I mean, I did talk about Bordelo and Eklund. I think they're going to be exciting guys. Kind of like a Zegris-type level player for uh, the Sharks last year. But, um, but if, but it, yeah, I, I think Eklund and Bordelo are for real um, if they get some playing time. But I will also go with Alex Bar, uh, Barabanov. Um, yeah, Alex Barabanov, yeah. Uh, he's injured right now, so he didn't play at all in the Czech uh, league, but uh, but even still, last year he had 39 points in 70 games. Um, That's more than Eric Carlson, by the way. That is saying. more than yeah, but you know he's not a defenseman. I know fewer games, but still more than Eric Carlson. But he's not a defenseman. Um, yeah, also that, but still. <laughs> I mean, it's more impressive for a defenseman uh, to have a 70 points per game. Uh, I'm just uh, okay. Anyways. Um, also has a better plus minus than Eric Carlson. I don't know why. See, see, this is this is you know now now you're annoying me because it's like like at the start of this like this uh, podcast thing that we did, you would not shut up about how good Eric Carlson is, and I agree. Eric Carlson is really good, and I obviously I I understand he's not as good as he was on the Senators, but to say that like he's terrible. It's this is ridiculous to me. It's like, like yeah, he he like yeah, he's. He I'm not saying he's terrible in comparison to Alex Barabanov. I'm just giving you the you facts, were, the numbers you were, that I you see. Were That's pleading, all I'm doing. You were pleading that the Ottawa Senators keep Eric Carlson. There were days when you you wanted Eric Carlson on the Senators. So you can't just be like saying like, well, he gets injured all the time, and he's not as good as Barabanov, who's a forward. Like, all right, whatever. And he, he's better. He's a better defenseman. Um, and this is a guy who thought that he uh, he was uh, he shouldn't have gotten those Norris trophies um, yeah. all those times ago. But like yeah. over future teammate Brent Burns or well, yeah. there was other Burns or Daddy. Well, anyway, I, I was I anyway, was talking Alex about Alex like, that, <laughs> that was that was back when uh, Chara uh, was was good and getting Norris votes. Yes. But yes, um, yes, during that time. Uh, but. Anyways, uh, getting back to Barry Banoff, uh, yeah, he had 39 points in 70 games, um, and, you know, I, I think what we were talking about, Hurdle, we were talking about Meyer, I think, like, you know, at the moment, um, in terms of, like, the top six, it is pretty much up in the air, other than Hurdle, Couture, and Meyer, um, and 
Barabanov, like he he looks like pretty much at home, and he has like a he has a good chemistry with Hurdle Meyer and Hurdle and Meyer. Um, so, I mean, I guess there is potential that maybe like I I guess I don't think Eklund plays right wing, um, and maybe Bordalo does, but um, but yeah, I am I am curious to see if like if like yeah, thirty nine and seventy games is not great for a forward, but I, I, I feel like at the same time, he could be someone to, to keep your eye on him. And, and maybe he, he adds a, an extra step. Um, although like, who knows really? Um, I guess he's not on a good foot at the moment. Um, what is interesting though, is Luke Cunning, uh, he did get a goal and an assist on that same, um, same line. So I am wondering, um, what they do when Bear Banoff becomes healthy again, um, and if they just like keep Cunning with Hurdle and Meyer, um, or if they move Cunning down to um, to the second line or something like that. But um, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, in terms of this, let's go to the next team here, Seattle Kraken. Uh, they add Oliver Borkstrand. Uh, they it looks like Shane Wright. You say potentially it does seem like they want him up for the full year, um, so they add Shane Wright, um, Burakovsky. They add Justin Schultz, Kempney, Martin Jones, Cam Hughes, Brogan Rafferty, uh, Daniel Sprong. Although I think didn't they wave Sprong? I think they did. Uh, Pol- no, they gave him a contract. As oh, they a did. Matter of fact. Oh, okay, never mind then. Uh, Polteraski and Hayden. Um, and then they lose Riley Sheehan, Hayden Flurry, Victor Rask, and Austin Zarnak. Um, yeah, the, the Kraken are an interesting team. Um, like, as you know, speaking of rookies, they have, you know, Matty Beniers. Um, it looks like he's going to be the first line center, um, which I'm intrigued to see. He did have nine points in 10 games last year. Uh, so it's like he's looking really impressive. He's like the front runner to win the Calder this year. Um, so he should be fun to to see. And then also like see if Shane Wright um, can, who fell into into their lap at four um, this draft. Um, I wonder um, how good he, it looks like he's going to be NHL ready. I wonder how good he's going to be in his first year. Although I wouldn't like, I think it's one of those things where he can't be sent down to the AHL, so it's either the NHL or going to the OHL again. But it's at the point where he's like, taking my Ottawa 67s. I hope he doesn't go back to Kingston because they're a division rival. Thank you. Ah, interesting. Um, but yeah, um, so I, I hope he stays in the NHL for that reason alone. But like you know, it's it's interesting because like you know Lafreniere didn't necessarily have a great rookie year, although you could make a case that like you know it was just the bubble year and and all that stuff and whatever. Yeah. And then Owen Power decided to go back to college, which I think was the right move. Um, so it is interesting to see if like if he just gets the nine games and maybe just gets sent back to the OHL. Um, but I, you know, I, I think either way, like it wouldn't hurt his development because he is like the most NHL ready player in this draft. So like, so yeah, maybe they do like just put him on the bottom six lines this year and then, and then just see how it goes. Um, because Seattle really just needs centers. Um, yeah, they have McCann. Yeah, they have 
Yanni Gord and Matthew Beniers, but really, Beniers and Wright are going to be the top two centers uh, for Seattle in like the for the next decade or so once both are ready. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I I think I think it will be interesting just to see if um, what what they do with with Shane Wright there. Um, and yeah, I think it's interesting too because like. Seattle was wasn't like a terrible team last year. It was just they didn't get anything from Philip Grubauer, and I'm curious. Like I feel like that's where like the make or break of of Seattle this year is if Grubauer can get back to what he was like in Colorado, um, which I think is definitely possible. Um, this past year, Grubauer did get have a he had a 3.16 GAA and a save percentage of 8.89. Um, so yeah, that's not great, but um, but yeah, I, I'm just I'm just I just I feel like if Grubauer can get back to what he's like, then maybe it's like back to okay, Seattle's actually like a bubble team, or maybe even make the playoffs with this week division. Yeah, I mean. Let's face it, goaltending is kind of what killed them. They had a negative 69 goal differential. Not nice. Um, and Chris Drieger was hurt. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, hurt again, uh, missing the first four to five months of the season. So that's why they brought in Martin Jones. And so it's going to be a tandem of him and Grubauer. They also put Joey DeCord on waivers. I don't think anything happened to him. So I think he's still Seattle Kraken property. Um, so. Yeah, he went unclaimed. Uh, okay. All right. Unfortunate for my sense, but okay. Um, yeah, for for the most part, um, it all comes down to goaltending. Philip Grubauer went from a Vezina caliber goalie to one of the worst starters in the league in one season, which uh, is kind of rough. Um, I don't think he can be as bad or nearly as bad as he was last year. I expect some sort of rebound from him. If he can even get like a 908, 910 save percentage, somewhere around there, the Seattle Kraken are going to win more games. And they may be not good enough to, let's say, get a playoff spot. Or like even if it's a wild card, I don't think they're going to be able to get a playoff spot this year. But I think they can do better than 27, 49, and 6, uh, their record in their first um, season. And I think part of getting better is scoring more because, yes, they gave up 285 goals. They also only scored 216, which is less than the Kings. And uh, one of their better players to start the year, Brandon Tanev, got hurt, so that didn't help matters. Uh, Yanni Gord was hurt for a bit. They had an early bout with COVID, I believe, uh, to start the year last year. Um, so, so all things considered, um, it was a – a year of learning for the Kraken, but they have a lot of young firepower in the ranks. Uh, uh, stars we haven't seen, like Ty Nelson, who's with the North Bay Battalion uh, in the OHL once again this year and looking pretty good. Uh, Shane Wright, you mentioned. Matty Beneers, you mentioned. Uh, they have more on the way. They're going to stockpile draft picks, I'm sure. In fact, uh, I think I have their draft pick situation right here. Yes, I do. So in 2023, they have a first three seconds and a third then the, the year after 2024 they have a first a second and two thirds and then they have one of each a first a second a third 
2025. Depending on how uh, this year goes, they could uh, add more names to that. They have Jonas Donskoy as a pending unrestricted free agent. Same with Ryan Donato. Same with Martin Jones. Same with uh, Carson Soucy, Carson Kuhlman as well. Um, I believe Michael Kempney uh, is uh, in that category as well. So those are guys that he could sell off for futures, like you were able to do with Kelly Yarncroke last year and Jeremy Lozon and yep. uh, Mark Giordano. Uh, in terms of RFAs after this year, they also have Vince Dunn and Morgan Geeky as well. Um, so for, for the most part, uh, they have a good chunk of their core set in stone. Guys like Eberle, Jared McCann, who they gave a contract extension to. So those guys I'm not too worried about. It's the rest of this offense. And it connects to my player to watch. And my player to watch, uh, I'm just going to go for the safe bet, Matty Beneers. Uh, just in terms of where he belongs in the AHL, in the it, it, whether it's the AHL or the NHL, I'm not quite sure. But just taking a look at his stats last year, in the sample size of 10 games that he got, he got nine points. Yeah. And in every single one, except one of his 10 games, he got a point. Yeah. So he started off his career with a five-game point streak. He got an assist in his uh, first game. Then he got a goal, then he got another goal, then he got an assist, then he got a goal, then he went pointless against Dallas, then he got, uh, in his final four games, he got an assist, an assist, an assist, an assist. So, not blowing your brain, uh, Connor McDavid, oh, look at me go, Keep eyes on me, not that type of dominant, but for a young guy in a grown man's league, on a team that's just trying to find their stride, he looked like he belonged, yeah. and he was making plays, and he was you know, taking the odd shots. He had a 16.7 shooting percentage. He took 18 shots, and he scored on three of them, which which is, again, pretty remarkable when you consider the dude is only 19 years old. He's going to be turning 20 in November. So that that's huge, I think, but in terms of what's best for his development, I'm just not 100% sure at this point. He averaged 257 on the power play in the sample size that he got, and he actually got two goals and two helpers on the power play. So they're trusting him in those special team situations, which is good. He was averaging 1655 over those 10 games, which is nice. Um, I can see why um, they have their expectations uh, for Matty Veneer set so high right now. But I, I just want to go to a situation where he can just flourish and play hockey. Yeah. And that's in their AHL system, great. But if it's in the if it's in the NHL, even better. Well, he's looked really good in the preseason too. I know preseason is preseason, but he's looked really good in the preseason. He's also like they they do get Barakovsky, they do get Bjorkstrand, um, so they get some wingers for him, and it looks like they're gonna put him at as a top line center, which is which is kind of cool. Um, and yeah, maybe he will. I, I think that's why he is a front runner for the Calder because he's going to be put up. Um, he's going to be a first line center, and that's like no other rookie is going to be able to do that. So um, hopefully he's worth the hype. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see. And you know, I I think the the thing you have to be a little bit like cautiously optimistic, I guess, is just the fact that yeah, he has like nine points in ten games. That would mean that. He'd, he'd be, like, at a 70-point pace. I don't think we can expect that. But, um, but yeah, maybe maybe he, he becomes, like, a 50-point guy or a 60-point guy, and 
that's that that's that's definitely something that Seattle would would take um, to the bank. So yeah, for the sure. The one the one thing that I will say before we get part ways in the crack in here, um, they're pretty loaded on right wing right now. Yeah. Uh, their first line you mentioned Andre Burakovsky is the right winger. Jordan Eberle is the second line option. Oliver Bjorkstrand, who they who is making a lot of money and put up pretty respectable numbers in Columbus. He's their third line option. And Jonas Donskoy, who is uh, a pretty solid top nine forward in his own right, is stuck on the fourth line because you have those options on lines one, two, and three, respectively. So um, I'm interested how that fluctuates as the season continues as well. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I didn't realize how many right wingers they had. Um, so. Yeah. Quality right wingers, established right wingers yeah. at that. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. We now go to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they add Ilya Mikheyev, Andre Kuzmenko, uh, ja- uh, Riley Stillman, uh, Curtis Lazar, um, Christian Willanen, uh, Wyatt Kalinak, um, Dakota Joshua, Colin Dillia, and Someone, D. Giuseppe. Um, Phil D. Uh, D. Phil. Giuseppe. I think he was in the Hurricanes Rangers system. Okay. I think, way back in the day. Got it. Interesting. Okay. By way back, I mean a couple of years ago. But, right, yeah. right. I, I knew what you meant. Um, and then in terms of guys that they lost, Jason Dickinson, Yaroslav Lack, Brandon Sutter, Brad Hunt, um, Alex Chieson, uh, Matthew Heimar, Highmore, and Nick Baton. Um, so, so there's that. Yeah, the, it, it was interesting because, um, for, for the, um, Vancouver Canucks, cause it, it was really just a tale of two halves for them this past year. Uh, they looked terrible, um, in the first half under Travis Green. And then once they added Bruce Boudreau, they started doing a lot better. Like apparently there was some tension between JT Miller and Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then Bruce Boudreau. I mean, I think we, we knew that Bruce Boudreau was a good coach. It was kind of strange that he was out of the league for so long, but, um, but of course, like, you know, what, what happened was they the Canucks were so far behind, um, at that point that they, um, they just never made it to the playoffs, so they just didn't weren't able to do that. Um, so, so yeah, it, it will um, it'll be interesting just to see um, like what what the Canucks are going to be like in with like a full year with Bruce Boudreau under uh, as as the bench coach there, um, and you know, uh, low key JT Miller had ninety nine points in eighty games. I feel like no one was talking about that. Um, Connor Garland uh, had fifty two points in seventy seven games. Um, it's not great, but whatever. Um, uh, Elias Pettersson ended up with sixty eight points in eighty games. Um, he had a like horrific first half of the year. Um, but he he managed to to pull it back together towards the, the second half. Um, so yeah, I, I wonder what, what's interesting too in, on this depth chart is they have JT Miller as the first line center, they have Bo Horvat as the second line center, and they have Pedersen as the third line center. I believe I saw that Pedersen can play left wing, so I wonder if they move him so that he can be on the top six. 
Um, because if you have Pedersen as your third line center, uh, there's something wrong with, with this team then. Um, or, I mean, maybe there is something right about this team, but uh, Pedersen is not a, a third line center. Uh, that's for sure. Um, Last on Daily Faceoff says he's second line center. The third line guy is Bo Horvat. Okay, okay. That, that makes more sense. Yeah, I'm looking on Cap Friendly. I guess it's like, you know, either, like, I feel like Cap Friendly or Daily Faceoff, they don't know. Like, you know, the season is about to start, so who knows. But, um, but that seems kind of crazy to me. Um, anyways, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm intrigued by Vancouver, um, especially because they do have a new coach. They have a good team, too, uh, not to mention they have Quinn Hughes, um, OEL, and Thatcher Demko. Um, OEL had a disappointing season. Um, he had 29 points in 79 games, so not like Eric Carlson, um, because no one can be Eric Carlson. But, um, but yeah, the, the, um, but yeah, so maybe OEL can be better, but, um, but yeah, I am curious to just to see how Vancouver does with, uh, a full year with Bruce Boudreau. Um, in terms of a player to watch, I'm actually going to go with Andre Kuzmenko. Um, and that's because last year, uh, for Scott St. Petersburg, he had 53 points in 45 games. Uh, the year, what, what is, which obviously is pretty good. Um, what is interesting though is like years prior, he didn't have a more than a point per game um, on his team. I'm not maybe that has something to do with the time on ice. That's not what Elite Prospects shows me, but uh, he had the year prior, he had 37 points in 57 games. Um, he also had 33 points in 49 games uh, the year prior to that. Um, so it is, you know, I guess you always have to like, with what we're learning from the these KHL guys is that they could like best case scenario is they turn into a Nikita Kucherov or Artemi Panarin, and then worst case scenario is they turn into um, like a uh, I don't even know. Uh, Adam Shipachev. Yeah, Shipachev. That's a good one. But like you know maybe uh, maybe he like even if if this guy becomes like a Gusev or a Dadanoff, like I don't know if that's necessarily like a bad thing. It's just. You know, I, I think we can come to find out that Kucherov and Panarin are, like, exceptional players. Um, and, yeah, so, so, I mean, and you're always going to have to, like, compare um, compare these guys to to previous guys um, who, who had a similar route. Because Kuzmenko is 26 years old. Um, I believe that that will make him not a Calder candidate. Um so, so he could just be, um, just really good and, um, and yeah, we'll see, but he won't win a Calder. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm just curious to see how he, how he transitions, um, from the KHL to here. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. I guess the other one who is the other Russian on this team is, uh, Vasily Podkolzin, um, who had 26 points in 79 games. Um, his first year in like as a full season there, um, but um, which isn't like great, but I am. It, it looks like they might uh, use him more, um, so I am curious to see how he does in a full full season um, and you know has more experience in the league. 
the one thing that I'm curious about is how they handle the Bo Horvat situation yeah. because he is the most notable unrestricted free agent uh, on the list. Of course, there's Kuzmenko, depending on what happens with him. There's Luke Shen as well. Um, fortunately, they have Furland's contract uh, coming off the books, uh, but they also have Niels Hoglander and Travis Dermott as yeah. notable uh, restricted free agents uh, to keep around. So it's not like... Uh, I don't know, just getting rid of uh, some uh, some cap room uh, with Furland is going to necessarily solve anything. Um, with Horvat, it's interesting because not only is he the Canucks captain, but just looking at the amount of power play goals they scored, Bo Horvat led the way with 13 power play goals last year. Brock Besser had 11 for second, Peterson had 10, JT Miller had 8, and Alex Chason had 6, and everyone else had 3 or less. Um and a lot of players at zero. So when when I consider Bo Horvat and the leadership and the underrated offense there, I'm just wondering how that's ne- uh, necessarily going to mesh with the rest of the roster. But at the same time, I don't know if, if the Canucks can give Bo Horvat what he wants, nor am I sure if the Canucks should re-sign Horvat in general just because of the cap situation and the flaws on this roster. Like obviously Ilya Mikheyev is expected to be a top six contributor when he's healthy, but he's not right now. He is currently injured. Uh, and the same goes for uh, Brock Besser. He's out the first three to four weeks. I think Travis Dermott and Tyler Myers on the back end, also dealing with injuries as well, but on the wings at the moment, um, obviously with these injuries, it affects things. But right now on the left side, you have Tanner Pearson on the first line, Andre Kuzmenko, the unproven uh, Russian forward on the second line, Nails Hoglander on uh, the third line, and Dakota Joshua on the fourth line. The right side, you have Connor Garland leading the charge on the first line, Linus Carlson, uh, Vasily Podkolzin is on the third line, and Curtis Lazar on the fourth line. To me, that's not good enough. Obviously, when you add Besser and Mikheyev, it looks a little better. But even then, are are you really getting the most out of this Canucks offense? Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is going to factor into what they do with Bo Horvat. So he's he's a very interesting case. Probably the most interesting case in terms of upcoming free agents to me. Even more interesting than your boy David Pasternak. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we'll we'll see about that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Although I guess that's not like a good thing to be to be proud of, um, so so we'll see. Um, all right, um, and then um, let's go to Vegas here. Did, did you did you say your player to watch for Vancouver? Just yeah, I said Kuzmenko. No? Okay, right. Yeah, you did say Kuzmenko. Right. I yeah. Okay, I, carry on. I uh, yeah, I forgot to ask you about um, what you thought about. Vancouver before yeah. I went to play to watch. Yeah, yeah, I agree with mostly what you said about Kuzmenko and yeah. and yeah, Vancouver's offense. It's a it's a wait and see. Yeah. I just hope uh, they uh, they don't uh, dig Thatcher Demko into his grave. Yeah, too soon uh, because he got pelted with rubber last year, and that can't continue. But yeah, I mean, I I feel like if any team can turn this around, it is like Bruce Boudreaux. I I have yeah. more, like he's one of the best coaches in the league. Um, yeah, he can't win in the playoffs, but that doesn't matter in the regular season. It's just like he, okay. he gets you there at least. Yeah, exactly. like, that's good enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> game, so. You can say what you want about Game Sevens. Game yeah. Sevens at home. 
Yeah, you can playoff series going deep into playoffs, but he gets you in the playoffs. Yeah, you can also like just worry about that when it happens. Also, I think there's like something like because like he he uh, he left Washington and then immediately the Washington wins the cup the following year or something like that. Um, so and then like he does the nah, same. Nah, 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 nah. Not nah, immediately. Nah. Oh, was it not immediately? No, 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 no. Uh, he well, he went to Washington first. That was his first. Oh stop. right, right. And okay. then he went to Anaheim. So this was early 2010s, okay. I think, like 2011. To yeah, yeah, right. Maybe. I got my weird my yeah. time. No, they didn't win the cup that early. Yeah. I think they had Adam Oates as their coach before they had Barry Trotz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I I got my times mixed up. But I was going to say is like, oh, you know who I was thinking of? I was thinking of Burakovsky. Is what happened, but like it's oh like, yeah, it's the Birkowski effect, right? It, it, yes. It's it's kind of like different though, because like what happens is he plays, uh, so he played in Washington, and then he wins the cup on his final contract year. Then he goes to uh, Colorado and he plays well, and then uh, he wins the cup on the final contract year, and then he goes to Seattle, and we'll see. Uh, but um, yeah, that's who I was thinking. of. Anyways, let's go to Vegas here. Uh, they add Phil Kessel. They add Eden Hill, uh, Weber, Shea Weber's cap hit, Spencer Few, um, the Rempel, Mike Hutchinson. Um, they lose Pacioretty, Coglin, Jack Dugan, Evgeny Dadanov, Janmark, uh, Derek Pouliot, Bershi, Dylan Ferguson, and technically Robin Leonard because he's going to be out for the year. Um, yeah, he'll be out for a year, yes. Um, but he's still on the roster, just lost for the year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the... Oh, and also, I guess they gained Bruce Cassidy, so that, that also... Yeah, helps. that's right. I forgot to mention, yes, Bruce Cassidy yeah. is the coach. You didn't really... Yeah, to be fair to you, you didn't mention any of these coaches, so that's... that's I, I have mentioned it in previous lists, so thank you for... Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. That's I did... Fine. I went easy on the coaches this time. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, the... This will, this will be kind of a fun little thing because it's like, yeah, I when the Vegas Golden Knights got Jack Eichel, I was thinking like, oh, that would be fun to see Mark Stone, uh, Pacioretty, and Eichel all on the same line or, you know, playing on the power play at the very least. And that never happened because Pacioretty, when Pacioretty was injured, then Eichel was injured or, or Mark. And then when Eichel was healthy, then Mark Stone was uh, injured. And then never, there was never a point in time when all three of those guys were healthy. And that's continuing to be the case because, well, first off, Max Petretti is traded to Carolina and he also is injured too. So like, even still, even if he was on the team, we would never get that dream of Pacioretty, Eichel, and Mark Stone. Um, but having said that, we'll we'll see a full year of Jack Eichel. Um, he did have 25 points in 34 games. Uh, that's not bad, especially since he didn't play um, play uh, in the preseason, and he had that surgery that was being taken care of. So. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not like what we were expecting of back to what he, what we were talking about with Jack Eichel in a Buffalo, but you know, still twenty five points in thirty four games. I would expect that to you know, I I think you know, with the cap hit of ten million, you expect that to be even better. 
um, than it is now, and I, I think that's going to happen, especially since he did play preseason. He is going to be a big part of their, their team. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how um, how he, he does this season. He's probably one of the most interesting storylines um, this year is how, how good can Jack Eichel be now that he's, like, meshed in with Vegas. Um, what's interesting, too, is, like, any, yeah, the same can be said with Mark Stone because he's coming off of another injury-type thing. He's getting older. What's interesting, too, is, like, like I, I don't know what your your depth chart looks like, but it currently doesn't have, it has Jack Eichel playing with Mark Gisseau and Riley Smith. Um, and I yep, wonder, that checks out. okay. I wonder if, if, uh, Jack Eichel will like, they will eventually pair stone and Eichel together. Cause I feel like that's the one that makes the most sense. Um, but who knows? Um, the thing that's concerning about Vegas though, is just the fact that Robin Leonard is not going to be, um, is going to be out, and that means that they're going to rely on Logan Thompson and Eden Hill uh, for for this year. Um, Logan Thompson, you know, to his credit, he did he wasn't bad, um, but he did play 19 games, uh, 2.68 GAA and a save percentage of 9.14. Um, and then you have Eden Hill, who went uh, who was had a 9.06 save percentage and a 2.66 GAA. Um, in 25 games, granted that was in San Jose, so um, who knows? But but yeah, I you know I, I think that's the more concerning part. But I I am curious to see if Jack Eichel can can sniff the playoffs. Um, it would be his it would be his first playoff berth. Um, and and yeah, if anyone can figure this out, it's it's uh, Bruce Cassidy. Um, he's one of the better coaches. He's He's a big reason why the Bruins were able to, to be, you know, somewhat relevant even still after uh, Claude Julien um, wasn't the coach anymore, and um, and when like Chara, guys like Chara and Krug left, he was still able to maintain um, the team to be some level of good. Um, so so yeah, I, I feel like this will be also a, an interesting challenge for Bruce Cassidy too. The interesting challenge for Bruce Cassidy is uh, what he's able to get out of his wingers. Um, obviously, Mark Stone's, uh you don't need to worry about him. Mark Stone, in terms of uh, the injury he suffered last year and how he recovers from that, that's the only concern that I have. Uh, Phil Kessel is, <laughs> man, I'm interested to see what he can do on this Vegas offense and yeah. the type of situations this, this team puts him in because he shouldn't. There, there's no reason why he can't be a top six forward, uh, given Again, given yeah. the need for uh, depth on the left side of the wing, especially uh, because on the left side, Riley Smith is obviously the first choice, but then you have Brett Howden on the second line, then you have Michael Amadio, and then you have Will Carrier on the fourth line. Like, yeah. mm, mm, that 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 could be a big weak point there in their offense. Uh, they're fine down the middle they're mostly fine on the right side on the left side once you get out of the first line there's a lot of question marks there so um hopefully uh he can continue uh his uh his ability to get the best play uh to get the best out of players because he needs he needs to get the a game out of his left wingers 
Um, and if he can do that, well, then that's a job well done for Bruce Cassidy. Uh, their defense looks pretty good. As you mentioned, the goaltending is the big question marks, which is why my player to watch is Logan Thompson. 10-5-3, uh, as you mentioned, Brett. You mentioned the 914 save percentage. And just taking a look at where Vegas was at, at that point in the season, this is a team that was basically fighting tooth and nail just to get points. And Logan Thompson, obviously it didn't work. They missed the playoffs for the first time in their history. But it wasn't all it wasn't to the fault of Logan Thompson. Logan Thompson did his darnest to get him in positions to win. Uh, for example, in his second start of the year, he stopped 35-36 against the Sharks. I know it's the Sharks, but he got the win there. Uh, he faced 37 shots against Columbus. Uh, didn't go so well as uh, five goals against there. A couple starts later, he stops 33-36 against the mighty Florida Panthers. He's able to get the win there. Then he stops 38-39 against the Kings, another win under his belt. Uh, against Minnesota, he stops 33 of 35. Sadly, not enough. Uh, takes the regulation loss there. Uh, a couple of starts later, 35 saves on 36 shots against Nashville. Big win for Vegas. He stops 30 of 34 against uh, the Lowly Hawks. He gets a win there. 22 saves shutout the game after that against Seattle. Then he stops 26 to 28 against Seattle again. Another win for him. And against the mighty Calgary Flames, after that, he stops 35 of 36. Another big win. Uh, then you get to the game against the Sharks where they have a lead late in the game. The Sharks tied, and then they win it in overtime. 25 saves on 29 shots. Just isn't going to cut it there. Uh, but then he stops 28 of 30 against Dallas. A tough shootout loss in that game. Uh, and then he stops 37 of 40, but it's not enough as the Hawks this time. Uh, beat him in extra time. Uh, and then somehow after giving up uh, four goals and 18 shots, he's able to get the win against St. Louis. But at that point, Vegas's fate was sealed. So it really didn't matter. For the most part, though, in every single game that he played, something was on the line. And for the most part, he delivered. Uh, there was a lot of games where he gave up two goals or less in that span. The inconsistency, you know, there were some rough patches there. Uh, but, you know, that you can expect that from a young goalie. I think in front of that defense, in front of, you know, like a 40 or 50 game workload in front of a coach like Bruce Cassidy with a mostly healed Vegas lineup. Uh, I think Logan Thompson is capable of getting around 25 to 30 wins in the NHL this year. And if he can't do that, well, then Vegas is in very deep, 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 deep trouble. Uh, so they, they, they need results from their goaltending, and Logan Thompson, in theory, he should be the guy they turn to more often than not. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I already just talked about how Logan Thompson needs to perform, and that will be a concern here. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. that is our list here, So um, or the Pacific Division here. Um, mm hmm so now we'll do um, who is our top three for the Pacific, our two Western Wild Cards. Then we'll also do the final four in the Stanley Cups as well, um, because we, we did the Eastern Conference as well. Um, so, um, so yeah, who is your um, Pacific three? My Pacific three. Hmm. Uh... 
I will probably say Calgary is the most complete team out of this pack. Um, so they probably won't win the division, but I'm going to pick them as the division winners. Um, I think Edmonton barely has enough firepower to figure it out and they'll get the second seed, but Vegas will be hot on their tails and I think they'll get the third. Um, but the Kings are going to be hot on their tail again. I, I'm not expecting the Kings to regress at all. They'll be right in the mix. But uh, I think this time Vegas slightly beats the Kings. So uh, I would say a decisive win for, for Calgary. There's a 6-8 point spread on second place, I would say. Uh, then I would say Edmonton. And then it's neck and neck between the Knights and the Kings for the third spot again, except this time I think Vegas prevails. Nice. Okay. Interesting. So I guess you, you don't have concerns with the goaltending. Um, well, I don't have concerns yet. <laughs> Until proven otherwise, I have no concerns. Uh, I think Logan Thompson can get the job done, and Aiden yeah. Hill or Laurent Brossois, they can pick up the slack when he's not in the net. Yeah. What about your wild card? Wild card's tough because now you got the Central Division teams in the mix as well. Yeah. And I said Colorado, St. Louis, and I Minnesota. Have, yeah, Minnesota, yeah. I have, I'm writing this all down, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For Hopefully me too. you don't take this to Vegas and put money on it. Um, For me too, yeah. <laughs> um. um <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, I think the Kings are going to be a wild card team. I can see the Kings there, and I think Nashville's got more forward depth, and they'll and they'll outlast Vancouver. It might not be by much, but I think they'll outlast Vancouver. So I would say LA and Nashville are the wild cards. So nice. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um. Yeah, for me, Pacific, I think Edmonton will get the one spot. Um, I guess I just believe in Jack Campbell. Um, Calgary. It's nice to believe in something, you yeah, know? Yeah, I guess so. It's, it's nice um, to be optimistic. Exactly. Um, I'll say uh, Calgary is number two. Um, and then, I guess this is kind of surprising, then. Um, I have Vancouver as number three. I... I I also, I guess, I believe in Bruce Boudreau. Um, in terms of wild cards, so for the Central, just as a reminder to everyone, I had Colorado, Minnesota, and Dallas. Um, I was thinking of doing St. Louis and Nashville, but I feel like I, I don't know, I can't, I can't trust Jordan Bennington. So you're interested in trusting Benner, eh? Yeah, no. Um, but I do trust in UC Saros um, in Nashville. Yeah. I think yeah, they're um, and yeah, their offense isn't as good as the other ones, but or as the other teams. But I think they'll they'll make it um, as the I one. I mean, if Nino Niederreiter is able to produce at the rate he's been producing, yeah. and granted it was against San Jose, but if he's able to score at that rate, yeah. um, they have enough firepower to at least get in the playoffs. For the record, he uh, if no one knows what he's talking about, uh, three goals in three shots in two games. So yeah. He would Again, liter- against San Jose, but yeah. that's still pretty impressive. He, and he would literally have to be like Austin Matthews. Um, so, 
Um, there's that. If you even get to, even even get thirty goals in a top nine role, that's still good production. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the second wild card, I, I was thinking of like being sneaky and being like Seattle, <laughs> LA, or Anaheim, but don't make the mistake you know, I did last year. I had Seattle third in the did, in the yeah, Pacific, and it bit me. Um, I'm going to be sneaky in my final four in Stanley Cup, but, um, but, uh, I'm, I'm just going to, I mean, I'm going to go with, uh, Vegas. Um, I, I think they'll, even though, yeah, like Logan Thompson isn't Robin Leonard, but I, I think, I think they have enough at least at the very least to be, um, a wild card spot. Plus I'm, I'm rooting for, I, I have no ill will towards Bruce Cassidy. It seems like yeah. Don Sweeney's the guy to um, do it. So I'll, I'll be rooting for Vegas, weirdly enough. Yeah. I don't know. Um, as for, Since I had you do the Pacific and the wild card first, I'm going to do the final four in the Stanley Cup. Um, this is going to be crazy. I'm going to have... I, I know it's, it's crazy for me to even say it, but Toronto and the Rangers are going to be the final four in the Eastern Conference. And then that would be a good matchup. Not gonna lie. Yeah, but it, it is it is crazy because it's like Toronto um, with Matt Murray. I know I said all this stuff about Matt Murray, but I I I feel like this is their year. I'm just I'm just gonna roll with it. Uh, Toronto, um, and then um, and then in the Western Conference, I have Colorado and Edmonton. Um, oh, you're gonna go for the rematch, are you? Yeah, I am. Um, I think it's going to be Edmonton, uh, but uh, they're going to play the Rangers. And I'll say the Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup. Okay. So the real question is, is Lafreniere your MVP? Um, no, but uh, I, I think he'll Conn be Conn Smythe, to be fair. Not league MVP, I mean Conn Smythe. I think he'll be a... No, Conn Smythe is going with Shashurkin, but... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But but I, I think he'll be a he'll be he'll take a step up for sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, what what's your final four and Stanley Cup prediction? Do you need a reminder on your Eastern Conference? Although I don't know if you have it or not. Um let's see. Let's see here. I've <laughs> do I buy into it? Ah, screw it. I'll go with Toronto as well. <laughs> I, I, I think they're time. Like, oh, yeah. like, legit, I thought they were going to beat Tampa. Yep. I thought they were going to beat Tampa in the first round. I think they still have the firepower. Uh, I think they can get the most out of Matt Murray. And even if they can't, Ilya Samsonov potentially could fill that spot and, and get some big-time wins for them. So I'll, I'll go with... I'll go with their overlords from weird. Toronto. It feels weird. Um, I'm with you. It feels weird. Even picking them yeah. in the final four, it feels weird. Yeah, yeah. I'm not picking my team. That's for sure. They're not. <laughs> they're not there yet. Um, the Metro's very, very interesting too. And I think I have picked the Hurricanes a fair bit. Oh, man. Man, oh man, oh man. This is a great podcast. Uh, <laughs> why does the East have to be so hard to pick from? Uh, yeah, screw it. I'll go rematch 2002, Hurricanes-Leafs. 
Um, right. Except this one's going to be a lot more entertaining and a lot less dull than yep. 2002 was. It'll be Freddie um, Anderson I, versus his old team. So. <laughs> yeah, the plot lines would be pretty interesting. Yeah. Freddie, Freddie gets in the way of the Stanley Cup, only fitting for the Leafs if that were the case. Right. Um, yeah, well, and also, like, just their additions of, like, Brent Burns and... Yep. And potentially what they could do at the deadline as well. I mean, I, I know I've picked against Carolina, but, like, you look at the series against the Rangers. You look at the series against the Bruins. Every single time they go on a road, they lay a donut. Yeah. They get nothing. They get zero wins. Like, how many playoff teams do that? Through two rounds, you don't win a single road game. Yeah. If, they, if they just find a way to win on the road... They, they could go on a very, very good deep playoff run. So I'm going to say Hurricanes versus Leafs. Um, for the West, I think Georgiev and the Avs are going to have enough to get to the Final Four. I, I, I want to root for Minnesota, but I just think there's so much uncertainty there. And, and I just so many question marks about the offense and where everything fits in. And yeah. I think Colorado just still has abundance of firepower still. Their defense is pretty much intact as well. So they're probably the favorites in the central there for the Pacific, for the Pacific. Um, I'm going to go Calgary, just the way Calgary lost last year. I think they're going to be super motivated. You have Huberto and Uyghur going into new situations. You have Nazem Kadri uh, embracing a new challenge as well. I think there's a lot to like with the Flames, and uh, I'm going to go with uh, Flames versus Colorado. So uh, Daryl Sutter gets to face his worst nightmare. And uh, Nassim Kadri, too. Yeah, and Nassim Kadri as well. Um, yeah, Nassim Kadri against Colorado, yeah. Um, but in the end, I think I'm going to go with Colorado and Carolina in the finals, and I think... I think Colorado wins again. Wow, okay. uh, it's tough to argue against them. Yeah, no, that that's... I think I think they'll go for uh, they'll go for a twofer. And and pe- before people say, oh, it's pretty tough to repeat. Look at the teams recently that have done it. Yeah, in recent it's... years, it's it, it's hard, but not as hard as you think. Also, not to mention the fact that they have two of the f- top five players in the league right now. So <laughs> um, exactly, yeah. exactly. Although, I, I, yeah. I was, I was going to say, they got two of the top five players yeah. in McKinnon and McCarr, and they also have Miko Rantanen yeah, Mika, and Gabriel Landeskog. Like, yeah. as long as they have a goalie that can just win games, like you're set. Yeah, like they just true. have the perfect cast of players to do it again. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, it, it's going to be close. I, I think it'll go seven games because Carolina's not going to give them too too much, but I think the firepower. Uh, going back home to Denver, uh, Colorado is going to get it done when it matters. So yeah, I'll go with the Astro repeat. Yeah. Um, all right, that that about does it for us here. Um, I can't wait because I think we did this last year where we had like we did our predictions and then uh, we looked back and we're like, oh, we were dumb. Um, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we're smart, but also very dumb. There you go. I think I did <laughs> predict. Actually, though, I did predict Colorado um, to win it. So, but like, I've been predicting Colorado to win it for for the last like three years or so. So, 
And I also um, predicted the Rangers were going to be that good. I yeah, mean, you did. Like, like in contention, at least for the division. Yeah. And they were fair. right to the end. So That's fair. Um, all right. So that about does it here for us at Lace Em Up. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, wherever else you get your your news at um, Lace Up. Lace Up Podcast on Twitter. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, you can also follow us on uh, make sure to subscribe to us on any yeah, podcast. Five stars if you really like it. What? Yeah, five stars, of course. Yeah. Um, at uh, you know iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. Pocket Cast, that's one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 338 of the Lace Em Up podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, hockey is back. Enjoy. Hockey is back.